Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You have found the Shanty Pants Show. People ask all the questions that box you in To classify your life with the stroke of a pen Take those old rules, crumple them, and throw them out We're burning that box right now Although I am most often recognized for my ridiculous comedic fashion and makeup tutorials on my social medias, I also have a deeper side. I have been learning, growing, and recovering so much in the last couple of years, and I'm thrilled to bring you along on my journey as I continue to break the mold that I've been living in for far too long. I'm so fortunate to have the privilege of interviewing some movers and shakers who are encouraging my healing process through sharing their own stories. I speak with many who have suffered through challenges I myself have been through, such as living in a cult, infertility, foster care, adoption, and mental health illness. I have experienced firsthand how the stories of others have impacted Impacted me and my journey of healing. I'm honored to bring these stories to you all in hopes that you too can learn, grow, and heal. And also to remind us all that we are not alone. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show. Okay, well, let's just go ahead and get started. I'm so excited for you to be here. So thank you so much for coming on the Shanty Pants Show and hanging out with me. And um, why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit of a bio on who you are for the audience to kind of introduce yourself to them, and then we'll kind of get to hear about your story. Well, um, let's see. I'm Debbie Weiss. I'm a former lawyer. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I retired at 40, um, didn't do too much, gardened, hung out, lots of exercise. And then my husband passed from cancer in 2013. Mm. And suddenly there was a whole new world out there. And that's what I'm talking about in my book. Yes, I know. And thank you so much. I'm going to show my book real quick uh, for sending me this book. I haven't read it yet, and I'm super excited to get into it and learn more um, about your story because I only know it briefly. So the podcast will get me started and then it will send me to the book to go finish your stories. Uh, So why don't you go ahead and talk about that, about kind of what that experience was and then what it, you know, eventually led into with prompting you to write the book about this experience? Well, when my husband died in 2013, I was like most people who lose a spouse, pretty miserable. We'd had 32 years together. He was my high school sweetheart. I'd met him when I was seven and he was 11. Our parents worked together. So that was, he was my one and only. And, you know, when he died, I I was obviously devastated and I wasn't really finding a lot of stuff that talked about how badly I felt. You know, I felt like I feel worse than everybody. All these widows already seem to be in kind of recovery land or something. And I was just miserable. And so I started to write because I'd always wanted to write um, 
but put that aside to practice law. And then um, just got more serious about it and finally went back to school and uh, put a book together. So your book is your experience. Is it kind of your experience after your husband died? It is. It starts... um, it's kind of interesting because in order to be a better writer, because I wrote like a lawyer, I got a master's degree. I got a master's of fine arts and MFA. And basically what I learned is you kind of always start something with a timeline. When you write a book, you have a timeline. Here's where the world starts. Or the world on the page is starting here. So I started my book with um, 14 months after my husband died when I am filling out my dating profile to start dating for the first time. Oh, wow. And that's kind of where the book picks up. And it goes through my dating experiences, but there's also a backstory about um, my husband and our story and our life together and, and my mm. mom's death when I was 10, which which really shaped my life and probably turned me into a maladjusted lawyer, in fact. were you? Did you get married really young? Because you knew him from obviously a very young age. I, You know, we were together from... March of my senior year in high school, he was my senior prom date up until he died. Um, He was 53. And we didn't actually get married until I quit practicing law when I was 40. Because he was the um, tech guy on a financial program called Quicken put out by Intuit. And so we didn't get married until uh, the tax penalties were such that it was more advantageous for us to be married than unmarried. (laughs) Oh, that is so great. Okay, so you were with him so long then. You said 32 years? Yes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So then how was that dating as in your 40s then? I was 40. When I started dating, I was 50. 50. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. So how was that? Because my, I had a sister that was single in her twenties, no thirties for a while. And that was a hot mess enough, but how, how exciting has this experience been for you? Well, I've been with someone four years now, so there is a happy ending. Oh, yay. So there is a happy ending, but it was, it was miserable. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was 14 months widowed, but you know, I was pulling it together and I was optimistic and I was looking for love again. I'd had, you know, a long marriage. I figured, you know, I could have a second love to my life. And the guys were just gruesome and the situation was gruesome and being online was insane. And it was Mm. just this complete shocking wake up call because I hadn't dated since 1980 when I was 16 years old. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And to make things worse, all the stuff people learn in their twenties and thirties when they're single, I'd never learned. So I was like, so ignorant. Oh my gosh. Now, (laughs) so I have a friend right now who's on dating apps and we die because she'll send us screenshots all the time because that's not my world because I'm married right now. But (laughs) we die like these pictures. I'm like, what do these, what are, what, like, are there brains involved here or no? Because it blows. We laugh so hard, so hard about just, they don't care. Like, man, it is. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure the pool just gets smaller and smaller as you age because, you know, there's less in the maturity level. My friend is, let's see, is she 40 yet? She's pushing 40. And it's like, these guys are not even close to mature at all. It's, it's, no, it's crazy. Now it's one of the problems too, is, you know, a lot of, I mean, people of, I think my generation, you know, I was born in 1963. I'm kind of the end of the baby boomers. Mm. We were kind of raised to be married and stay married. And so a lot of the more normal people of my generation are married. They stay married. They're, they're off the market because they're, you know, they're in their standard kinds of relationships. I come from a real conservative yuppie kind of time in the eighties, you know, People weren't finding themselves. They were, you know, buying houses. So a lot of the more, you know, kind of more mature people, they became parents. Um, A lot of them I'm not, but, and they stay married. So you get a really strange pool. 
And it, I think it's a, maybe more shocking for some of us who are widowed people because we wouldn't be in that pool if our spouses didn't die. We're the people right. who would still be married. Oh, true. <laughs> You're like, you guys are lucky to see me in this pool right now. Oh, that's, I just can't even imagine. Like, so did you end up, so you said you've been with someone for four years now. Did you end up finding them online? Doing I online actually dating? did. I found him oh. on, on OkCupid. Yay. But it was five years and a few wow. bad relationships on and off. I wasn't like online for five years. I was off for a right. few years in a, in a crappy relationship. But it was a lot of searching. I mean, a lot of it was just perseverance and just kind of treating it like a job saying, okay, look through everything in the morning, be disheartened. Okay, you're done for the day. Go back, be disheartened. You're done for the day. You know? Oh, man. <laughs> Wow. But you eventually did find him. So that worked out for you. It did. Eventually it worked out. I was at a really low point and I really was thinking, kind of wondering how I was, that I was going to be spending, you know, the rest of my life on my own, which is reasonable. And a lot of women choose that. I read a lot on medium and that is something that women are choosing these days and seeing all the guys out there, I can honestly see why, but I wanted to find love again. So I just kind of kept looking and I'm a writer as well. So at first it was fun because it was kind of like, you know, writing material. And then it was just like, oh my God, this is, this is the state of baby boomer men, you know, we're in trouble. Now when you, after your husband passed away, did you, you said it was like 14 months when you started dating or until you started the online search type thing. Do you feel like in, because you said you were kind of obviously a, a mess at the beginning, do you feel like in that 14 months you took that time to really grieve and honor yourself and kind of like process through a lot of that? Or do you feel like you just kind of were trying to move on? Some of each, to be honest. Um, you know, I fell into something way too soon after my husband died. My husband had been in denial about his cancer, and that made the end very painful. We never had a real goodbye. He thought he was recovering. I got grief mm. therapy, of okay. course, because yeah. I needed it. And I had PTSD, um, insomnia, and I was drinking too much. That's why, if I don't know, my email, you probably noticed I had a blog. It's called The Hungover Widow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of a mess. I was trying, though. You know, I did yoga. I walked. I did get grief therapy. Uh, I tried to to reach out a bit. Um, but it just, you know, when you've been with someone 32 years and the ending is, is difficult and incomplete, it just takes a lot more time to grieve. You know, grieving a huge, long relationship, anything, a parent, something important, just takes, I think, just so much longer than our society kind of thinks we're going to take. Uh, you know, yeah. I would say it was three years before I had kind of a brain back. Mm, you know, I could wow. read simple books, you know, beach reads, but right. it, you know, it wasn't. It was three years before I was really could could concentrate for an extended period of time again. Wow, to where you were back, like mentally. Yes, you mentioned society giving that time, or you know, that presumed kind of like, oh, they should be over it now. Do you feel like you felt that from people like at some level, like, oh, it's been a year now. You shouldn't. Why are we still grieving? Or do you feel like people around you were supportive? Well, that was kind of the hard part. My husband and I were really isolated. He was a software engineer. So that means his favorite thing to do is sit in front of a screen. Um, I'm a bookworm and and an introvert. So when he died, I didn't really have a lot of connections. What I had were was my dad who and my stepmom, and they were having a lot of their own health problems. And I'm an only child. My late husband's an only child. Oh wow! I was pretty antisocial. I didn't. So the hard part was I was really alone. So I had to reach out. So I went and tried to do weird things. I mean, I joined like I, this is strange. I know it's going to sound weird, but like I joined a car club because I had a sports car. And it was like okay, well then I would have breakfast on Saturdays with people, and then they do something. We'd go look at aftermarket car stuff, which wasn't my thing, but I would trying to like reach out. I joined local rotary. I joined some local business stuff, even though I didn't have a business, um, some writing classes. Cause I just, I had to be with people. And so it wasn't like people were bad or anything. And I was putting myself out there. I was out there. I probably looked fine, you know, reasonably put together, but it was just more that sense of, Oh, you're better now. Oh, okay. Are you dating again? And part Uh. of that, it was, not those questions 
didn't exactly apply, but I was, my, I was out there myself. Just have days that weren't like all by myself all day. Like I all days where it wasn't like, okay, I said hi to four people on my walk and three people in a yoga class. You know, I had to feel like I was talking to people. Yes. Yes. Well, and isolation is so scary when you are grieving or you're going through something like that. So obviously you were smart enough to reach out and get into some groups like that. Like you said, even if it wasn't like something you're completely into, at least you were out there socializing and that probably helped so much. It does. It it does help. It helps to just kind of pull yourself together and, and interact with other people and I don't know. I found that helpful. And gradually I did find things that resonated with me. I joined some hiking groups that were great and gave me stuff to do on the weekends. Cause you know, as a widowed person, your weekends can be pretty miserable. People mm. are with their families. They're with their spouses. You, you don't want to walk by any restaurant to see happy couples having brunch, probably after a nice Saturday night together that you don't have anymore. So like hiking groups were good. Writing groups were good. So eventually I did find things. And then from there, you know, connected to more people. And that probably kind of saved me. And that was 2013 when your husband passed away, right? Yeah, he passed in 2013. And then probably five months later, I started to join some groups. And then, you know, it was probably more like a year later by the time I started to do some more things that, that resonated. Now, what about any particular stories in the book that you would like to share? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, it'd be cool if you could just read us the whole book, but we won't do that. I, I would love to. I, you know, I'm too cheap to do an audiobook right now. So I think I could do my own audiobook. Yes, you, know? you, you, you have the voice for it for sure. <laughs> I've read a couple on social. I've read a couple pieces of the book when I was, you know, so it's kind of fun. I, I guess you know the funniest part for me um, was probably. I mean, what was funny was I went on J Date, which is a Jewish dating network. And the first several men I met were actually kind of stereotypes. They'd been in therapy forever. They they all had mommy issues. And it was insane. So my very, very first date, you know, I'd been widowed and I meet this guy online and he looks like Alec Baldwin, but really fit. He's a mortgage broker. He actually lived in Roseville or something, out past Sacramento, somewhere out that way. I could probably look him up. I probably know him because I'm in real estate. (laughs) Oh, you might. You might. Okay. We'll talk about that. We'll keep his name out for now. um, So we meet for a few lunches. He's real cute. We we look good together, I have to say. You know, it looks, it seems good. And this is my first date after being widowed. And then we go to dinner in San Francisco. He picks me up in Danville where I used to live. We barred into the city. We have a romantic dinner. It's at John's Grill, which is connected to Dashiell Hammett. He takes me because I'm a writer. We split food. It's all very sexy. I'm thinking this is nice. It's been 14 months after my husband died. I'm, I'm ready to date again. And he comes back to my place because it's a long drive home. And then the first thing he says is, I have to tell you about the woman who ruined my life. Oh. Yeah, she was a gorgeous blonde. She had breast implants. I don't know why I needed to know that, but <laughs> apparently that was a big deal. She made him buy a house he couldn't afford. She was mean to his kids. She treated on him with a, another man from the gym. And this was how he chose to spend our first date and my very first date after being oh. widowed. My first, you know, real date online, you know, and then, then I thought, okay. And then there were several more women he thought he would go into and ended it with, I just remember this line as a widow, I knew you would understand pain. This is a true story. It's in the book. Um, No way. This really happened. Not the same, buddy. Not the same. Not the same. And it was like, dude, you just made a bunch of bad life decisions. Right. You know, this isn't. And plus it was like, I mean, why would I want that experience? It was just, it was, and he thought the state went swimmingly. And I was, you know, on the sofa, like, I felt like that guy in airplane, you know, like in the airplane movie where, um, Robert Hayes keeps telling everybody over and over again the story of his lost love. <laughs> I felt like one of those passengers are like, it's got the rope and they're like, you know. Like You're that. stuck. Oh, <laughs> wow. And and it's so sad too that like this is one of the normal ones, you know, like yeah, you're he was like, one of the more normal ones. Yeah, yeah. He was a normal guy. He'd successfully raised a son on his own. He had a good relationship with his adult son. He had, you know, lived on his own, not with his parents, had an income, right, right. you know, <laughs> you know, had a dog. I mean, he oh. seemed, you know, this seemed like this was 
a good you know, one. Yeah. It seemed like this was going to, this seemed like this was going to be good, but it, it, it got, it, and it got worse from there. So. Oh yeah. That is not a way to start your dating, uh, back no. into the dating scene. No. Oh, but again, good stories for your book. You know, you, you got to live, uh, lots of experiences through that time. Many. Oh my gosh. And so then it was five years from that point till you met your current partner who you've been with for about, wait, four years? Four and a half, actually. You've been very, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So that was like five years later, though. It took five years of kind of in and out of the dating scene. Yes, it did. It took five years. Oh, I'm just so curious about all of that. Like, I, I, I try to imagine myself, I'm 42, and I was married to the same person like, like you, very similar. I've known him my whole life mm-hmm. and we got, I got married when I was 19. So it's never been me. It's always been us. It was, I moved okay. from my parents' house and with him and it's never been me. It's always been us. And so it's not the same, but we've been the last several years learning and growing and working on ourselves as individual people because mm-hmm. we missed that in life. We did not, we didn't get that separation. We didn't have, you know, even we didn't even have normal high school, like lifestyles, but even like we never had the college experiences. So, you know, now at over 40 years old, we're trying to figure out like, mm. well, what kind of food do I actually like? If I always said that just because you really like it, like, it's so interesting at an older age to be in this place of just self-discovery and kind of figuring out who am I as an individual person and not always as grouped or paired with, with another person. So it's not the same, but I, at the same point, like I think about, oh my gosh, if like my friend that's dating right now, I'm like, I just, I just think I'd be out. Like I just do not have the tolerance or the patience anymore to, to deal with these childish men that are uh, on some of these sites. And there has to be good ones out there. You hear stories. I interviewed someone the other day that met her husband online. And so it happens. It happens. And there's good ones out there. But man, it's a lot to weed through, I imagine. It is a ton. I mean, it's so much. And, you know, there's the ones who are borderline, but it's just a waste of time because, you know, there's the rude ones. There's the guy with the antlers. There's the unpleasant photos and the speedos. There's all the people holding up the big fish. There's guys next to their cars or motorcycles. I'm not sure what that's offering. Um, You know, and it's just... The, there's the people who want to text forever. There's the idiots who give you stories like I can, I'm a secret agent and I'm super busy, but maybe we could text. And I, I can believe that means I am married. Right. right. But it's just all this bullshit. And <sighs> that's ridiculous. And then from there, you get into a level of people who are maybe relatively sane or possibilities. But, you know, the odds of clicking with someone when you're older are, are pretty small. Oh. And even then, it's a pretty different kind of pool. What with your, with your partner that you're with now, what was it that drew you to him or what like clicked for you guys? Well, you know, it's funny because I hadn't even really noticed him online because we didn't have any overlapping interests. My profile was pretty detailed and I had a lot of extensive pictures. I heard a Ted talk about this. So I had professional pictures done. I was going to, I was going to up my odds and his, but he's, um, He's into snow skiing, water skiing. He was a professional ski instructor, um, all kinds of stuff I don't do. I don't do. He had a, a little ski boat. He had a picture of himself, you know, shirtless, but reasonable looking, sunglasses, real tan, you know, and, his, um, and I like I saw that and it's like, well, we, we got nothing. But he sent me a note that said, um, he sent me an his first thing to me said, are those Vans in that photograph? Because there was a picture of me and I was wearing tennis shoe, which was Vans with skulls. And mm. he said, so his intro line to me, oh, are those Vans with skulls on them? Okay, well, that's harmless. I said, yeah, yeah, they are. And he goes, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking of getting a pair. I like those. How are those working out? So we talked a little about the Vans and he showed me a couple of Vans ideas. And um, he was just really nice. He was really pleasant. And, you know, we got off the thing and we were texting and he, he was a person who ran in the morning at sunrise. Again, none of these are my thing to do. I'm a writer. I stay in bed late. This is, you know, but he would send me like a text of a sunrise and a have a great day. And he was real Hmm. cheerful. He's also a realtor. So he was real good at, you know, that cheerful. And 
you know, we had tea and we, we hit it off. Um, he lost his mom that past year and I'd lost my husband and it had been in a terrible breakup right before I met him, which I'd been, was probably way too open about to come across as an appealing date, but we decided to just kind of be friends and cheer each other up. Mm. And then, and then from there it actually got better. I like that you said you were just going to be friends because I feel like that just happens so much where that, that friendship, if that friendship comes first and you kind of have that base of the friendship trust. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And then it probably makes everything else a little bit easier to fall into place. That's exciting. That's cool. It was. It's exciting too because you know you get to know the person and you're not just trying to be like all suave or, or debonair. And I was really shocked. You know, a lot of middle-aged men, I mean, they, they just, they just, I basically, I joke that men of my age, basically when they're single, they want to um, put in the least amount of effort possible while still remaining sexually active. And, you know, and this guy was completely different. We, um, he read everything I'd written. At that point, I had a bunch of publications out and a blog and he read everything and he specifically read a post where I'd gone to Carmel by myself one time to try to recapture some of what I'd had with my husband. Mm. And I was so sad there by myself. I drove home that same day. And so he took me to Carmel and we had separate rooms. And he said, I just want to take you. We'll do separate rooms and I'll take you out to dinner. And I just want you to be able to love Carmel again because we both love the beach. Oh, my gosh. So there was a lot of there was romance there. And in general, all the dating I had did not have any romance or chivalry. It did not happen. So how has that been kind of discovering yourself since he passed? Because then you you are on your own. You know, you have to make all the decisions. Was that really hard? You know, some of it. It's interesting. Some of it made me very sad because he cooked and he took care of me. I was a, very, a real stress bomb. So he was like the first like, calm down. Everything's okay. I have anxiety. So he was really good with, with all that. And yet he was also like a major do-it-yourselfer, but never had time to do anything around the house. So he was super picky. So it was kind of reassuring to start to do some of my own decisions. I like... Um, you know, it was nice to be able to say, I don't care if the garden lights aren't fixed perfectly. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do that or I'm going to remodel the bathroom. I'm using this contractor. If it's 95% good, I'm in a happy place. Oh, you know, yeah. I kind of liked making those decisions. Um, I make different financial choices. Leave it at that. I make different choices what I want to wear. He was a gourmet cook and a lot of our time was spent driving around the Bay Area, like San Francisco, getting six kinds of chilies or this kind of sushi fish. And I, you know, I really, me on my own, I don't enjoy that. That's not my thing. I'd rather be hiking or yoga or something. So it it was a little bit reassuring to kind of get some of my own interests and I, um, things like that. Like he, he didn't particularly think I was a really great writer or anything, which is okay, but Mm. it was nice to be able to just do that and be like, well, I don't care if I'm not very good. This is something that I enjoy doing. Oh, that's nice. That's but. that's a good part. It is. I mean, I've discovered like with my current person, I mean, I'm kind of just happy we're together. So I, I honestly don't have tons of opinions like, well, I mean, 
I actually am kind of personal. It's like, I like most, you know, you want this restaurant or that one. If I like them, that's fine. You know, the interior, you know, we're both real similar with our decor, minimalists and all. The one thing I did do that helped me a lot was I moved, but I didn't move until like a little over a year ago. And I should have moved earlier. I stayed in the house and, you know, I thought I'd kind of cleared out the parts of that life that weren't me anymore and the pieces that were really my late husband. But it wasn't until I moved that I really got rid of like a lot of his art and a lot of just stuff that were part of us, but really weren't part of me. Yeah, I moved like July last year. July, so coming up, coming up in a little over a bit over a year. But yeah, I moved from a house I lived in for 27 years. So yeah. It was, it was intense. Oh, I had way too much. I had way too much to move. I had thought I was a minimalist, but that's because like I had a lot of, in the old house, they had more cabinets and such. So everything was full. It just looked, you know, it looked good. And there was just like stuff on the walls. Like my late husband had this huge oil painting of a pinball machine. That was like his pride and joy. And I know I didn't really think of it. my current partner doesn't, didn't particularly care for it. It was very bright. It was, and I was looking at, we were moving and I was looking at it and people of my generation, I think are different from younger people because our first reaction to anything to get rid of us, but it was expensive. Yes. Right. The yes. first thing is, but it has a, a monetary value. You can't get rid of it. And I was raised kind of by depression era, New York Jews. Mm. So that's kind of where, so, but I remember looking at this and just having this moment of like, but I I don't play pinball. I don't relate to pinball. I don't really even, (laughs) do I like this? Well, not really. Would I want this at my new house? No, no, I'm trying for a beachy house. This is, you know, this is something else. This is an arcade from the seventies. And it was just like kind of this moment of going, but this is you. You don't have to have things that you don't like. And it it really took me a long time. I mean, I'm talking seven years since he died to seven and a half to come up with that. But that's like just proof right there. And so awesome to see the growth of like, okay, I can let this go now. Yeah. Part of me, I don't like it. And kind of like, I bet that kind of felt good, you know, to make that decision. It did feel good. It felt really good to get rid of, you know, I probably got rid of about a third of all my stuff or a half. And it felt really, it felt really good. I felt like I was kind of much, much lighter. And I was finally kind of claiming myself because, you know, he'd taken over our office, of course, because he was a tech guy. He worked from home. And, you know, I'd cleared out some of it, but it wasn't until I kind of had my own office, which is kind of girly now, you know, girly writer looking as opposed to, you know, sleek 1980s tech dude. (laughs) I just kind of hadn't realized that all this stuff I really hadn't dealt with or put my own stamp on things or, you know, I hadn't realized that for so long it felt like I was kind of living in someone else's house or like I was kind of still living with, with the ghost of George, my late husband. You know, he, I, by then I felt thought of him as a friendly ghost, but yeah, you know, I still want to evict him. Right. You still want your own stuff. Yeah. I want my own space. I want my own taste. How long did he battle cancer for? Um, about four years. Okay. Okay. And he just, and he thought he was healing. Yeah. This is really sad. George was very, very protective of me. Um, mm. you know, my mom died when I was 10 and she died at the same hospital where he was getting his chemo. And he tried to take me out of it. He just wanted to deal with it all by himself. He excluded his parents who lived nearby. He didn't want anyone involved. Mm. He told the people at work, but didn't tell them like when he was getting worse, you know. So he just kind of did everything by himself. He'd drive himself to chemo. He even used to drive to radiation, then drive to the Silicon Valley from Danville to work. But I think that protectiveness and that, I don't know what you want to call it, that like, doing this on his own, that just intense, like interior life morphed into something sick Mm. and it became denial. So he thought he was getting better. And at that point, the cancer was clearly taking over. Yeah. Yeah. So that made for a very, very difficult, painful ending. I mean, the doctors were telling me he had days and he was saying, well, I'm going to come up out of the hospital and come home. And they knew that wasn't going to happen at that point. They knew it. and But see, I didn't know it because he didn't <sighs> let me talk to his doctors. He wow. chose not to include me. And that was crazy. Um, so he kept me out of everything. And by the time I found out, it was too late. 
And I probably had a little of my own denial going on too, because I never really did the lawyer thing and go to the hospital and say, you know, I want my husband's records. I'm a lawyer. I maybe could have researched some cases, but I, you know, I never did that. Um, and otherwise I tend to be pretty proactive. Okay. So I, I think, I don't know. I, I also think though that his denial kept him going. Because what he loved to do was program. And he was when he passed, he was working on a new version of Quicken for Cloud and mobile platforms. And that was his mecca. He loved that. So I constantly felt like if he could live with this delusion and he could keep doing what he loved. And his legacy was this product and, and the engineers he mentored and the people he mm. connected with that I kind of wanted him to have that. I didn't want him to spend years thinking... I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, you know? Yeah, that was kind of how I, that was another piece of it. It was kind of complicated. It it, it was kind of very emotionally complicated. Yes, it sounds very much like, because even for your end of it, it seems like, I'm just thinking like from the wife's standpoint, that would be uh, like what you said makes sense as far as maybe you're in your little bit of your own denial, because that would be really hard to take like you you would want to be a part of it. You, or I would, right. I guess if it was me, I would be like, no, I'm, I'm your wife. I'm going to be involved with this and help yeah, you and do be. all the things. Yeah. But that would be hard to kind of be shut out from it and yeah. to know kind of what, what's needed or not. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. And then to create friction when I want to get involved, then we're fighting. And, you know, I, I joke that we fought more towards the end of his life than we had during our entire marriage because, you know, we got along really well. We didn't fight much. You know, I kind of went along with what he wanted and I enjoyed what he liked to do at the time. And we just kind of lived in that little world. And so it was hard because when I did want to get more involved and I was getting pushy, it would make us fight. And that was making it worse, too. You know, here I am yelling at some poor guy who's now in a wheelchair saying, you've got to let me, you know, and that and that's that's also counterproductive. You know, there was no right answer. And that, I think, is what kind of messed me up. And I had to, you know, and I had PTSD after he passed. I did a little bit. Now, he did pretty well for about three and a half years. I mean, I think he did it through just mental energy. He lost his hair, but he just kept going. It wasn't up until about maybe six months before he died that he started, maybe eight, that he really started to decline. You know, we had, you know, probably three good years that were it just felt like another series of meetings or something else he managed because, you know, his job was really all encompassing. He was a workaholic. Um, you know, and that's another thing I, I kind of tell people, I guess, because I always thought we'd have all this time together. We never traveled together. We didn't have weekends in peace because he was always on call for work. That was his choice. They weren't the tech jerks. He, he chose this. He was a, and I thought, well, we'll have our time together later, but, but we didn't. And that's something I kind of warn people is, you know, nobody ever says, I wish I spent more weekends at the office, you know, stick a thing in that darn loving family, you know, right? such a good reminder. So one thing I always ask everyone, but I already know the question or the answer now, because I think we started this way was um, how you met your husband, but you've been friends since you were seven, right? So yeah, we were family yeah. friends. Yeah, I met I met George through family, family friends, his mom and my dad were both nuclear physicists at Lawrence Livermore. And his mom was real social. So we would, she had people over. So we met at a pool party when I was seven, and he was 11. And he showed me his model train set. Oh, that's just precious. Oh, my gosh. And did they and they lived local as well? Yeah, they lived about 15 minutes away. For people in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was in Danville and he was in Walnut Creek. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so we were like 15, 10 minutes apart. Oh, we went nice. to different high schools and then we were four years apart. So my dad didn't quite love this, but we started dating. I was like a senior in high school and he was a senior at UC Berkeley majoring oh. in engineering. And we were like nerdy kids who fell in love. Yes, I love it. And your parents were nerdy too. That's so amazing. So what are your, what do you do now? Like, what are your hobbies? You said you enjoy hiking. I do. That's fun. So you just enjoy your time. Do you have animals? I just enjoy my time. No, no animals no at animals. the moment. Yeah. Um, I do have my new partner, Randall. Yes. We moved in together um, last July. So I'm getting used to living with another person. Because I lived alone for eight years after George died. So I was really used to like eating what I want when I want and doing everything that I want and staying in bed till four in the afternoon writing if I want to. So that's, I'm just, I'm loving Benicia. It's, it's by the water here. And I just love walking by the water, hanging out. Um, 
Yeah, I'm prob- I'm I'm kind of an unemployed slacker. I, I'm one of these people. I do a lot of yoga, and I'm kind of one of these people. Like my view is kind of do less. You know, most people's schedules are so intense and they're so focused. Now I don't have any kids. I don't have any pets yet. We're we're contemplating cat, oh. cat ownership. Oh yay! But and Benicia's super dog friendly. But I just. You know, it's kind of weird because I just kind of spend my life hanging out. And I don't know that that resonates with most people. I I look forward to that someday. That sounds amazing. Uh, Amazing. I definitely won't be starting at 40. That's for sure. Now, um, one question I always like to ask, too, is what is one of your favorite books? Like that you would recommend to people to read? Um, My favorite author is MFK Fisher. And she's got a book, I think something like The Edible Me or something. And then she has a book, How to Cook a Wolf. And you can buy them all in this one huge paperback. And it has like these minimal recipes. Oh, how cool. They're not super complicated or anything. It's just really beautiful. She's a beautiful writer. Hmm. She she, uh, grew up in part, I think, in the Sonoma area. And in part in France, you know, she traveled a lot, she traveled a lot and she's just a gorgeous writer and she interweaves talking about food with her life. Mm. And for some reason in the modern age, I find it very comforting. I find it just a real soothing, comforting kind of read. Mm. My other question is, what is the best compliment you've ever received? The best? Oh, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I can tell you. Okay. This is, this is, this is uber self-serving, but I'm yes, going to tell that's you. That's good. Um, I had a really famous writer edit my book. Mm. I when worked with me on the book because I mean, I was concerned that I wrote like a lawyer structuring it with flashbacks and past and present was very hard. And when I was trying to get an agent and all, nothing was really happening. And I was about ready to just give this up. And the, the, the famous author who worked on the book with me said, um, how are you, you know, she, she's really brusque and she just went, well, how are you doing with getting a publisher? This has the most promise of anything I've ever worked on. Oh, wow. And that kept me going to put it out there. That's awesome. It pushed me. Yeah, I'd finished it, but I wasn't getting any traction with agents or anything. And I was just really disheartened. I remember getting a rejection from like my biggest shot at this big memoir agent on my birthday. I got that, you know, in Santa Cruz, I'm on my birthday and I get the rejection and and it's like, this hurts. This is too painful. But when I heard that from my editor, I was like, okay, keep going. You know, you'll regret it if you don't just, you just keep going. How did you get uh, such a big editor to edit your book? Um, it's kind of weird. Well, there's the short answer is to be honest, it cost a lot. My late husband was not into experiences. He was into things. Mm. And he left me some very nice jewelry when he was diagnosed. He bought me fancy jewelry, even though we should have had the money better. But when he pat when I was writing the book, I sold it and got the editor instead because I wanted that experience and the jewelry was sitting in a, and the stuff, the fancy stereo was just sitting in a box. You know, you don't realize this stuff until someone's gone and it's like, he's dead. He was a workaholic, but I have a Rolex. So that, that paid for Right. And then also I was, went to some, you know, some of these websites where it's like, we can help you with your book. Yes. And at that point I'd had um, a New York times modern love column. Okay. And that's a big deal in writing land. It didn't do anything for me except piss off people who read it who didn't like it. It did not make my <laughs> life. It did not do anything. Um, the New York Times has rejected me repeatedly for their Modern Love podcast. But it, 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 it's something. And I had some publications and magazines. So I was able to show that to her and then through a website. But it, it was also so she takes people selectively, but it, it's also honestly expensive. You know, late fifties. This was my dream. I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I don't have children, yeah. so you know, oh, I could awesome. do it. Money well spent, especially now so. that it's published. Yes, yeah. You've got. Okay. You know, it's good to try your dreams. Yes. You know, even if this doesn't do what I want, it's still so much more than having given it up or having my not no longer a collection of designer handbags. You know, have you published other books as well? No, this is my no, only No, this is book. your only one published. Okay. But you've written the columns and stuff. That's where your main focus had been before. Yeah, I'd written for you 
before there was a, a feeder group for Hearst Magazine. So I'd written for Hearst Magazines. It was exciting to me as a new author. I had like eight published articles and syndicated a little bit in Hearst. Then the New York Times when I was a Huffington Post blogger. Okay. So I wrote, and just some fun publications. There was a really great feminist magazine that's not around anymore called Ravishly. And I loved writing there. So I just, I would just kind of send stuff out, you know. Um, is there any other stories that you want to share from the book? I mean, everyone needs to just go by and read it, but. They should. I'm sorry. I think to. they should. I really yeah, do. They do. No, they really have- do. I mean, I guess I could give two funny things. One is I did try, um, I did go on Tinder because I thought as an over 50 year old writer, I should try it. <laughs> I did match up with a young app developer in his thirties. It was the most crazy disastrous date. I do a little excerpt reading on my social. It's so I think that's a little bit fun. Maybe, um, you know, on the other hand, the other part of it is there's there's just a level of loneliness and sadness mm. there that I think people don't know until, gosh, until you, you feel that on your own when you've never had it before. I'm glad to get the funny stories and the deep stuff in your book. So that'll be a good read. I'm excited about it. Thank you. Oh, and please do also, can you share everywhere that people can follow you and find you? You mentioned doing some little readings on your social media. I think that would be really fun for people to go follow you and get to kind of see uh, a little bit more about what the book's about. And I would love that. I'm Debbie Weiss author on Facebook. I'm also just Debbie Weiss on Facebook. And I put a lot of, I post a lot there. I'm old. So, you know, I, that's, that's my, that's my area. That's where I, that's, you know, I have 2,400 Twitter followers and nothing I put on Twitter gets any likes or anything. I don't understand it. I'm on Instagram. Please be careful with Instagram. I am Debbie Weiss author on Instagram. I was the hungover widow and I managed to lock myself out of my Instagram account. So people find me as Instagram as a hungover widow and that is a dead account, but I don't know how to take it down because I am so inept. So I have some nice pictures on Instagram, but like not reels or stuff like young people do because I don't understand it. No, I'm like this old person. So it's really, social media is really funny to me and I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have a book. I'm obviously in that world now and it is a lot to keep up with. Before I was ever in real estate, I was kind of like very minimal on social media. And then once I started real estate, I'm like, okay, I need to do it for business. And then now it's kind of what I do. Um, but yeah, it can be very okay. But you're amazing. I mean, you were well, amazing. Thank you. I watched that one video about Smile More and I was oh, just yeah, cracking up because that reminded me so much of like dating a little bit like, <laughs> oh yeah. This is good. I'm having uh-huh. such a good time. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I will never call you again. Yeah. So happy you live in a basement for your parents' house. Right? Yeah. That's what I wanted to do when I was 62. <laughs> you know? Our goals are lining up. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, that is so scary. So scary. Well, I will leave all of the places to find you and information on your book. I'll maybe link that to um, Amazon. And, that would be amazing. Um, I am just at 99 yeah. cents on Kindle. I'm a new writer, ah, so I have no dignity. Hey, yes. And I'm, and I'm, great. you know, so I do book giveaways. My kin, the Kindle's 99 cents. And I actually do hear from some people who the mo- more people I hear from is that they want to buy it for their mom or oh, a parent, a grieving parent. Yes. That's kind of more where I'm hearing stuff. Well, I figured midlife women. I mean, I'm a little past midlife. You don't see a lot of people at 120, but I mean, I'm, you know, kind of middle-aged people, um, middle-aged women who find themselves single, widows in particular because of the grief, but also women who are divorced because that's a different kind of loss. And it's also creating a new identity, finding a life on your own and trying to date these schmucks out there. Mm. Um, So my, you know, my audience, my ideal audience is, 50, you know, 50 plus women, women who are at midlife who find themselves unexpectedly single. Um, Also, widowed men have found it helpful. And even some younger women, because I've heard from gals in their 30s that dating Mm. is ridiculous. And and those men aren't terribly mature either. Thank you so much for doing this with me. This is so much fun. It's crazy that we're actually very close. We should have just done this in person. Uh, But 
you know, we would have had to actually like plan a little bit better. And I, I know my, I'm like, I'm wearing sweatpants right now. Oh so yeah. I'm in, I'm in my, in my jammy shorts still. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's what I love about this. It's like, <laughs> nice. sure. What time do you want to meet? I'm ready. Uh, so yeah, this is fun, but I really do appreciate you hanging out with me. No, this is, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it so much as a new author. I mean, I am very, very grateful. Thank you all for joining me for another episode of the Shanty Pant Show. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with me every week. You can find all of my links to all my social medias, anything your heart desires at shantypantshow.com. You can even find my amazing merch is back up and running there. And you can email me from there. All the things. All the things. Also, you always ask, how can you help me out with this whole podcast situation? You can subscribe to my podcast. You can leave reviews. You can share it with friends. I appreciate it all. So I am super excited to bring you guys the rest of the season. It's going to be amazing. And I'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.